the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. And a very good afternoon. Welcome to the New South Wales Country Hour. I'm uh, broadcasting today from the University of Sydney at Camden and uh, quite uh, quite an, an amazing site in front of us. A little bit dry, but uh, a lot of the researchers are here uh, behind me at a uh, research, uh, uh, looking at uh, dairy foundation research. And it's also uh, an opportunity for dairy farmers and researchers to get together and talk about some of the issues. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, global pricing as well. We've got some international dairy farmers here too at, uh, at the conference. So uh, there's a lot of talk about the environment be talking about that uh, in a second with uh, uh, some of the researchers from uh, here in Australia and also uh, a perspective from New Zealand as well so uh, quite a bit more to talk about in the program over the next uh, 45 minutes or so. But uh, first up today, uh, as I said, we're here at uh, this symposium here. Uh, it's the 2023 Dairy Symposium uh, set up by the Research Foundation. Now, it's um, uh, a lot of national and international researchers are here. A lot of dairy farmers are here. And um, they're uh, talking about the latest trends in research, what's happening overseas, the research that we're doing here, and uh, trying to assist farmers uh, in regards to their bottom line. We're also talking about supermarkets and pricing and a whole supply chains and a whole range of the issues that are affecting the dairy industry at the moment. And um, earlier today at the conference uh, here, I caught up with the uh, Minister for Agriculture and Regional New South Wales, Tara Moriarty, uh, about uh, the sorts of things that will be on the agenda here today. Particularly here in New South Wales, up 3.3% year on year, which I just uh, was pleased to have a chat with the symposium about. Uh, we're doing better here uh, than the rest of the country, but that doesn't mean we can rest on that. I want to make sure I'm working closely with the industry to ensure their success into the future. But there's been a lot of sort of climate challenges and there's been global sort of headwinds too. Yeah, this is a definite significant challenge uh, for the ag industry proper, but particularly for the dairy industry. Uh, again, I want to work really closely with them to make sure that they can get through those challenges and to thrive well into the future. I was talking to them a bit today about, for example, research into uh, grasses and pastures that can help uh, deal with climate in a better way. We'll get through climate. Uh, these are the kinds of research projects that matter and can help the industry to be sustainable well into the future. Because we heard from a wheat breeder recently last week, Richard Trithowan, who was saying yeah, he sees climate change as the biggest challenge for uh, growing of wheat. Pasture would be the same. They have to have in their, you know, the options they have to be uh, able to, uh, some of them cope with really wet weather and some of them cope with really dry weather. I mean, so it's a, you know, it's not, not an easy task. It's not. And climate change, we know that this is a significant issue for all of us um, across New South Wales and across Australia. Farmers feel it well and truly before the rest of us and they do understand uh, that these are things that we do need to grapple with as a community but particularly for the industry and that's why research is so important. Uh, I'm really keen to make sure that we're investing properly in research to be able to uh, invest in the things that, that can help us get through these climate challenges uh, and fix the issues for the future uh, and I know that that's something farmers are, are keen to do as well. The other thing I, I notice that there's quite here at the symposium today, there's quite a sort of accent on partnerships with you know commercial firms as well. Is that you know to to um, spread the taxpayer dollar a bit further? Well, it's also it's to spread the taxpayer dollar further for sure, but it's also about uh, working with and partnering with people who are experts in the work that they do. Um, 
government can absolutely play its role, and, and we do, but there are significant research uh, organisations that do terrific work. I talked about Dairy Up today. Um, that doing, we should be working together uh, to make sure that we're putting all of the resources we can together uh, into uh, battling the climate issues that we're facing and researching into how we can uh, improve things for the future. So is Dairy Up like an, um, an umbrella body? Yes, yes, and it's important uh, across the ag sector that we do partner with people who are experts uh, in the work that they do. Uh, there's particular expertise in the dairy industry that we, and I certainly as Minister, want to partner with um, and uh, work with people uh, to make sure that we can uh, make our dollars go as far as we can, but also get the best results and best research that we can. How do you sort of tackle that issue of the supermarkets and they're always sort of pushing prices down, you know, the farm gate prices down? I mean, is that the role for ACCC? Does the state government have a role in that? What's the story there? Uh, look, it is a matter for the ACCC. I've met with the supermarkets and I'll continue to do that. This is something that I raise. I want to make sure that farmers get the absolute best deal that they can. Um, we've committed to looking at supply chain issues, so what happens from the farm gate right through to the supermarket uh, and everything that happens in between uh, and how the prices are affected by everything that happens in between. That was a, an election commitment for us that we've uh, started working on. Uh, I want to make sure farmers get the best deal and we also want to make sure that people at the supermarket are getting uh, the right price uh, for the products that they're buying, which helps the industry uh, to be successful into the future. I'll continue to work with the supermarkets on that. We know, I just want to ask you a little bit about the bushfires and the recovery efforts there. So some fodder's gone in, emergency fodder though. It's not, you know, it's not the panacea. It's not going to solve people's problems. Uh, do we have a sense of the, the damage? Do we have a sense of the stock losses? Do we have a sense of a dollar figure, the fencing, uh, or, or is it too early? Uh, it's a little too early for the dollar amount, but my heart goes out to people who've been affected. It's really early in the season uh, and I'm concerned. Uh, we're working to make sure that we've got the resources in place to help people over this summer period. Uh, we have seen some significant bushfires uh, across the state over the last little while. Tenterfield last week is an example. Uh, I made sure to direct the department to provide uh, emergency fodder in addition to what would usually be provided. So we've, uh, I made sure that uh, well over 200 tonne uh, of fodder was trucked into Tenterfield last week, for example, and over the weekend. Uh, it is emergency feed to get people through this immediate period. Uh, there's also water available if there are animal welfare issues. We provided another, the state government provided another 200 tonne around the Kempsey region when they were affected by fires recently. Uh, I want to work closely with people who are impacted. It's really devastating when people are and I want to help them to get back on their feet as soon as they possibly can uh, and I'll continue to do that over the summer. What about discussions with the federal government about disaster assistance and where are they as level A or I mean people are saying they don't want loans, they want grants so that means really you have to be pushing it up into the higher levels of assistance federally as well. I'll continue to work with Murray Watt, he's doing a terrific job and he's very aware um, of the challenges that people are facing here in New South Wales uh, and also my colleague the Minister for Emergency Services in New South Wales, Jihad Dib. Uh, we're all going to work really closely together to make sure that people get all of the support they need. Uh, that's why I made sure uh, to intervene, particularly last week, to make sure that feed could get through to people immediately, urgently as they needed it, uh, but we'll continue that work over the summer. Yeah, because I remember that, actually, that is quite quick for the previous 
uh, governments were uh, quite a lot slower to get that assistance out there. I want to help people as soon as we possibly can. Any sort of delay uh, in this kind of support when people have already been devastated? We have seen some houses lost uh, already this season. We have seen stock losses. I haven't got the details with me. We're still calculating all of that now, but I'll I'll let you know um, once we've got it. Uh, And I want to make sure people... I'm standing with people to make sure that they can get back on their feet as soon as possible. But it's November. It's early November. And the RFS is saying they're worried about the southeast of the state. That's a tinderbox down there. And they're saying that uh, we face a massive threat, particularly down there as well. I mean, is that the intelligence you're getting from the Bureau, from the RFS? Yeah, we've certainly got drier conditions and we're going into more drier conditions uh, across the state, uh, particularly dry in certain pockets, including uh, the south coast uh, of New South Wales. Um, We have the resources in place and we are prepared or as prepared as we can be um, in terms of government resources. Uh, And unfortunately, we're seeing these fires already uh, only in October, November of this year, but we'll be standing with the community and providing the support that's needed um, over over this period. Minister, thanks for your time. Thank you. Tara Moriarty, who's the Minister for Agriculture. I caught up with her a short time ago here at the uh, Dairy Symposium, uh, University of Sydney Dairy Research Foundation Symposium for 2023. Uh, Just on some of those figures, in fact, uh, they've uh, sent me through, the department sent through some updated figures after having a chat to the Minister. She's saying the uh, department is still saying they're currently uh, activating a response to the bushfires in the Tenterfield area. Uh, They've received so far 112 requests for assistance. This includes 92 requests for emergency fodder, 13 for emergency stock water, uh, which the Minister was saying is being made available. Also four for animal assessment and veterinary assistance and three for stock euthanasia and burial. So primary producers are being urged to report the damage, including stock and fodder losses, damage to crops, pasture, fencing and uh, other infrastructure through the uh, Natural Disaster Damage Survey and uh, there's also uh, the uh, hotline number to call as well for more information uh, and uh, also to report damage and to ask for assistance. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's uh, coming up to a quarter past 12. On ABC Radio New South Wales, this is the New South Wales Country Hour. Talking at the Dairy Research Foundation Symposium at the University of Sydney here at Camden and um, I was talking to a previous um, or current Minister for Agriculture, talking to a a past Minister for Primary Industries, Niall Blair, who's here in his capacity as Chair of Dairy Up, which is involved in um, basically setting up uh, this symposium or partnering in terms of this symposium and pretty good turn up from researchers and dairy farmers, so, uh, you know, trying to share a bit of information basically. Yeah, hi Michael. Um, Absolutely fantastic to be out here at the University of Sydney. Um, The Dairy Research Foundation um, has set up this symposium and and Dairy Up is is proud to be a a partner of that and uh, display some of the research and the investments that we're doing to enhance the dairy industry here in New South Wales. Is it about, is Dairy Up about information sharing or is it about getting the research out there to the farmers? What, what's the idea? It's both. It's research development and also extension. And um, Up stands for unlocking potential. So that's the potential, unlocking the potential within the cow, within milk and also in water. So we're very much focused on looking at how we can 
look at data, we can do research, but then we can build capacity to assist the dairy industry here in New South Wales. And we do that with partnerships, partnerships with DPI, LLS, University of Sydney, um, CBIS, a, a range of uh, partners, including Dairy Australia, to, to try and improve things here in New South Wales. So you, are you using just Australian research or are you tapping into international research too and trying to bring it to Australia? Yeah, we've got um, connections across the globe, um, so right you know, in, in North America, um, but predominantly investing in the research and the capabilities here in, in New South Wales because we're different here in New South Wales as far as our dairy sector goes, we're the most diverse, um, different climatic zones, different production systems. So we need um, solutions that are going to be uh, specific for New South Wales. And this was born out of a, a grant that, that came out of the, uh, the bushfire grant funding to try and help sectors like the dairy industry recover after what we saw, um, you know, some of the devastation um, in those earlier bushfires around 2019. Um, and this is one way that the industry is, is bouncing back. And how's that going? I mean, we're still hearing that dairy farmers really are still struggling, and uh, you know, there's been um, price. That, uh, there's been a, an exodus of dairy farmers from the industry. Are we turning that around? And also, there's been you know price pressures. They're always talking about the, the the costs they're facing are going up, and the dairy price isn't going up. And look, plenty of challenges, and and that's why I think what we're doing is so important. Um, really interesting to see in the symposium here today a lot of young people entering into the dairy sector whether that's on farm or in the research area and this is about setting up the future um, of this industry through research through new ideas everything from looking at um, the potential in in some of the pastures uh, analyzing data to see what we can learn from um, doing data analysis but also setting up the industry for um, climate change but also being more productive at the same time so um, We've got projects looking at different types of farming systems and models and which are, are going to be more profitable right through to the impacts of climate change and everything in between. So um, looking for new markets, new opportunities, but also building resilience into the existing dairy industry. And uh, one of the other issues, market forces. I mean, how do you get around that? I mean, and, uh, you know, that seems to be, you know, you, can't, you can research all you like, but if the market forces are there or, or against you, a lot of dairy farmers feeling the market forces really have been against them. Yeah, and look, I think that's, again, unique and one of the reasons why when I was asked to come in and, and, and be an independent chair of, of this collaboration, I was really attracted to it because it has the whole supply chain involved in this. So we have um, on-farm representatives and, and farmers involved in the program. We've got the researchers through uh, DPI and, and University of Sydney and, and other research organisations. We've got Dairy Australia putting in levy funds right through to processes on the other end that are actually part of, of Dairy Up. So having all of those different parts of the supply chain in the room, identifying what the challenges are and how we can work together, I think is quite unique and, and quite refreshing. What about the supermarkets? So, I mean, that's where a lot of dairy farmers will say that there's a break, that there's, there's a nexus there, that, uh, you know, they feel as though they're not getting the attention, they're not getting the, they're not getting the love in terms of pricing from supermarkets. And supermarkets are always talking about pushing prices down and, uh, and dairy farmers are, are feel the heat on that. And they feel that, you know, there's a duopoly, that too much, there's not enough competition. I'm glad you asked the existing minister about that because I'll leave that to, to her to answer. Um, we're just going to stop at the, the members of um, the Dairy Up in this stage in the processes and, and try to be more efficient. I guess 
My response to that is the pressures are coming on farm from a whole range of areas, whether that's the climate, whether that's the market, um, whether that's trends. I mean, again, we've got to look at what's happening um, with consumers and, and a lot of milk alternates that people are turning to. So the dairy industry needs to be up to the challenge. That's what we're hearing today. We've had a, a global perspective from New Zealand. We've had a global perspective from the Netherlands. And I think dairy farmers here in, in New South Wales in particular are up for the challenge. That's what we're here to learn about, and that's what we're investing in the research and the extension. wanted to talk about the idea of Dairy Up, and does that mean you're trying to assist those that are really not performing now, and uh, and or maybe they're smaller farmers and then, you know, they, they, they're uh, really doing it tough. Are you trying to bring them along for the ride to give them a bit more of a leg up, I suppose? Yeah, it's... it's really there for everyone in the dairy industry so whether they are a small uh, mum and dad producer or whether they're the corporates um, we're looking at all of the things that can unlock the potential for the dairy industry in New South Wales and that's why again some of our programs are looking at you know what are the most economical and and highly productive um, farming system models that could be applied where are the where are the the pinch points in that and, and where's the sweet spot looking at milk as a diagnostics looking at uh, how we can get more out of kaikuyu so we're looking at research and programs that could be applied across the the state and across the borders but again New South Wales is quite different. You know, we've got um, north coast, south coast, inland, um, southern, southern, southern highlands, uh, right, right through different um, regions here in New South Wales, down into the Riverina. So we need to be able to, to have a look at um, what research is going to be available and applicable to everyone. Because I, heard, I remember the Murray-Darling Basin talking about um, pasture growth, on the, uh, particularly in the Murray Valley, they were talking about uh, growing pasture. They were saying, you know, that's something that's uh, uh, not going to be productive into the future, not going to be worth the, the money that's spent or the, or the water that's used for that. We need to be um, smarter with where we, we use the water. So I, I guess uh, they, when you talk about that, that sort of, that sort of change in the way and, and the, the research and what the scientists and what the experts are saying or the analysts are saying, you know, it sounds like there could be some big changes for some dairy farmers. Well, I think change is inevitable in a whole range of different areas and the I guess the, the question we're trying to answer is, well, if I do have to change and whether that's change has been driven by the market or by the climate, where do I go to? So that's why we're looking at the intensification of the, the sector, the different types of production systems, right through to whether I'm planting the right pastures and, and how do I get more out of Kaikuyu, or also the risks that are associated with some of the um, existing systems that we have. So, you know, we've got 10 broad projects, and under that there are 23 individual research projects. We're investing a lot into capability for the sector going forward, a lot of PhDs and, and, uh, and um, post-doctorate um, researchers that are, are being funded now through this program. And this is a $16 million program, and, and, you know, only six of that came from the government through the bushfire grant, Industry and uh, and our partners have um, stumped up the the remaining um, the remaining dollars. So you know, ten million dollars of, of cash and in kind that's come from the partners because we believe in this. Sixteen million dollars up front uh, uh, in total, and I think it's um, it's making a real impact. Niall Blair, uh, good to talk to you on the Country Hour again. Thanks for your time. It's good to be back. It's uh, coming up to 24 minutes past 12. On ABC Radio New South Wales, this is the New South Wales Country Hour.
We're talking dairy here at Camden at the University of Sydney at the Dairy Research Foundation a Symposium. And one of the questions posed here was how can we learn or what can we learn from farmers in New Zealand? Their dairy industry, of course, has been exposed to the wild ride of global commodities. They're a big, big exporter of dairy, much bigger than we are, but uh, they've also had some further discussions about the environment and also emissions and also uh, caring for the land as well because it's a big issue in New Zealand. And I spoke to uh, Tim Mackle, who's the former chair of uh, Dairy New Zealand, and he says the industry is facing similar challenges there that we face in Australia. Well, I think certainly there's a lot of commonality between New Zealand and Australian dairy farmers. You know, I mean, there's a pasture, not, not for everybody, but there's a core element around you know, free range and extensive for a lot of farmers, and that's in common. The, the challenges of, of, you know, regulation, the challenges of, of public perception, and, and in some cases, you know, you get activist group, they've got agenda, and, and farmers do feel that as well. But the ongoing need to deal with the new emerging issues, things like how do we play our part in climate change, um, deal with local issues like water, care for your animals better, all those kind of things. But at the same time, also, you know, having to maintain and sustain profitable and competitive businesses, you know, globally. And so that's just absolutely key. You know, people challenges, uh, how do we attract good people right across that value chain? They're all very common issues. Um, some differences, obviously, around the fact that we're 95% export focused and it's, it's, it's more evenly uh, split here uh, with, with a big domestic population and perhaps a smaller production overall but but essentially a lot of commonality mm. and do you think that the the political and environmental backlash has, has been getting worse in recent years i think farmers have certainly felt it um but you know at the end of the day politicians as we all know respond to public sentiment um or perhaps opportunities they see with public sentiment so you know, I, I, I really feel I'm a big fan of farmers connecting with their community and, and telling their story. And we've seen a rise in farmers being more active on social media as one example. And other bodies have a role in helping them do that. Dairy and Z's done a lot of that as well in New Zealand. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it does concern me. And it's really hard because when farmers are faced with paying bills and, and, you know, variable milk pricing and pressure from from people buying milk and, and, and costs going up and all these other issues I talked about it's hard to look beyond the first hill but but you do have to and and we're all serving customers and at the end of the day that's really where we've got to go is what do the customers need now but also into the future and anticipate that so it's, it's I think one of my messages today is to be careful about you know being everything being politicised because you can take your eye off the ball you know and, and that's really about how do we build that sustainable viable future but in a way, it must be hard to, you know, face some of those uh, climate issues, price issues, and and production issues, and then yet get you know, you know, negative media, negative social media, you know, um, uh, com- coming back at you as well. Oh, absolutely, and and that's been I know certainly in our country, it's it's been one of the things that it's gotten a lot of farmers down, you know, over 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 time. Um, ultimately, farmers do what they do because they believe in the purpose, you know, and they generally feel good about what they're doing. And most farmers are real good custodians of their land and their water and the people and the animals. You know, they, they love doing what they're doing. So I think they feel quite hurt, you know, when they are, in some cases, unjustifiably, uh, you know, attacked by, by some, some groups. But at the same time, you know, as one farmer said to me, he's a wise, wise farmer, salt of the earth, you know, change inevitably is a journey without an end and we've got to get comfortable with that you know what we're doing today won't necessarily be what we're doing tomorrow and you know our customers ultimately will set and dictate a lot of that so 
you know, my message is actually, you know, today we're one of the key ones was, was to try and stick together on collective issues. Have a good debate, like any family would, but at the end of the day, once you've made a decision, try and work together to solve the big problems and focus within that. You know, there's, a, there's a, another a real challenge, I think, around being... Un- know who your competitors are. You know, we used to sort of compare each other to other countries. Uh, you know, how we're going against California and Ireland and Australia, but at the end of the day, it's not about that. We're not competing with each other. More so, we're competing with alternatives to dairy going forward and what is it that they claim that they can do that we can't in the future either rightly or wrongly you know and and how do we address those issues i think science and investing in science either at a nutrition level for dairy and the virtues of that is key as well as understanding the science of the problems we face it with with water or climate change um, but at the same time evidence and science as a scientist that pains me to say it only goes so far because you know, you've got to appeal to people's emotions, and as you know quite rightly, Michael, you know, at the end of the day, you've got a short window with most people, to, and so that emotion, you know, that, that sort of personal connection needs to be a focus, and that's why I think farmers are key in that as well. Um, and then I guess, you know, it's, it's balancing the, the next point would be for farmers, the sort of what's in front of me now, the now, and, and what's coming next, and, and what might be new in the future either a positive for you, a tool for mitigation for climate change or, or another challenge, you know. And that's hard, you know, when you're faced with today. And then lastly, we've got to help farmers through change, whether it be government or those who support them and other farmers. And I think if we can do that, then we've got a great future. Sounds as though you are saying that there is a big threat from things like, you know, almond milk, soy milk, you know, um, away from the, you know, animal animal milk. You think that is a real threat that, you know, that's coming, that's that's on the horizon or already here? Well, I think it, it is in, in some ways. At the end of the day, though, you know, we do need new smart ways to feed the world and, more importantly, to nourish the world. And that's where we've got to shift the conversation. You've got things like the Sustainable Nutrition Initiative coming out of Massey University in New Zealand, which is doing some great work on saying, well, if you're going to feed the world, more importantly, you're going to nourish them you know, which is providing the right amount of nutrition for their needs, how do you best do that with the least impact on the environment? Probably not with almond milk. Um, no, because this nutrition is, is questionable, you know, and, and, and we know that one of the Scandinavian countries did research well over 10 years ago that showed that soy milk's got double the carbon footprint as dairy on a nutrition basis. And that's just what you provide. When you think about what's, what's absorbed by the body, then dairy and meat are even better, you know, so we've got to to mention the hormones in soy as well. Yeah, well, that's right, true. But at the same time, you know, I think we've got to accept that there will be alternatives uh, that come along and on an ingredient basis that'll probably be the biggest threat for us, not so much perhaps the the beautiful cheese and so on. Um, And I think we've got to embrace that, but the question is what do we do about that? What are our actions going to be? Does that mean we need to have, you know... uh, more grass-fed dairy and less, you know, of that sort of uh, big-scale US-type dairy with massive herds and, you know, uh, um, a, a indoor feeding, that sort of... Are we Should we be more clean and green in that sense, more outdoors, more grass? Well, well, I think they've both got their strengths and weaknesses. You know, one's got economies of scale and efficiency and so on. The other one has that real opportunity for, to be lower cost and hopefully profitable as well at the same time. But across both, we've got to be able to tell a better story and keep telling that story, and that's really key. And there's no doubt that when it comes to, you know, dairy, there's got to be opportunity for that provenance sort of approach, whether it be here in New South Wales or over in Ireland or in New Zealand, wherever. It's easier to tell the green grass story, isn't it? It, it is easy, and, and it's very relatable. You know, the free-range thing. We're here out of Europe, you know, 
our cows are free range, well, some of them only get eight hours a day outside. <laughs> well, here we can have them outside 24-7, 365. And, and I don't think we tell our story well enough in New Zealand or Australia about, about our systems and, and the virtues of that. Tim Mackle, Dr Tim Mackle, who's a former CEO of Dairy New Zealand, broadcasting today from the University of Sydney, from the Camden campus, from the Dairy Research Foundation Symposium. And we'll come back to uh, some of the dairy issues on the table. But before we do that, it's time to get some news headlines with Adrian Reardon. Good afternoon. G'day, Michael. Here's the latest in the news headlines. Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt says he's confident China's tariffs on Australian wine will be lifted within the next five months. China committed to reviewing its wine tariffs one month out from Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's historic trip to China this week after scrapping tariffs on Australian barley earlier this year. Economists say inflation figures indicate the Reserve Bank is likely to raise interest rates today. The official cash rate has remained steady at 4.1% since June after the RBA increased rates on 12 occasions. Inflation data for the September quarter came in stronger than the central bank's forecast. The Australian Border Force has seized more than 35 tonnes of vaping products at the country's border. The vapes were seized during October and later tested by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. A wildlife ecologist who specialises in seabirds says she doesn't believe the deaths of seabirds along the New South Wales coast is due to an isolated storm event, but more likely due to a lack of food. Hundreds of short-tailed shearwaters or mutton birds have been found washed up on beaches between the mid-north coast and Illawarra over the past few days. And across the border, racegoers have packed Flemington Racecourse for the 2023 Melbourne Cup. Irish galloper Vauban remains favourite to take out this afternoon's race. A hot day is forecast in Flemington with a top of 30 and storms predicted right on race time. The $8 million race is set to kick off at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. More news at 1 o'clock. The uh, storm won't do much for people's fascinators. <laughs> I wouldn't imagine. I know, all those feathers just, yes, you know. It looks a bit like a drowned rat if there's a big thunderstorm. <laughs> mm. I bet you need you know, a strong, sturdy hat, you know, those, right, those, exactly. those fashion, big, fashion... Big wide brim. Exactly, right. those fashion-savvy uh, race goers out there would have prepared for the weather and had the, the stiff-brimmed hats and the, you know, the, the, the you know... They would have no been doubt. sorted. The starch but in the in the blouses. The <laughs> so, so you've been doing some dressing up in the ABC Bigger, Adrian, by the sound of things. I just know fashion, Michael. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. All right, thanks for that. You're listening to The Country Hour. It's uh, time to find out what's happening with the weather. Dylan Bird at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. How are you? Very well. Nice, warm and sunny. A bit of a breeze here, but uh, very pleasant here at Camden today. Probably about, I'd say, 20... Yeah, 28 degrees, sunny, and uh, yeah, it's lovely. Or a bit dry, though, so yeah. I understand most of the rain would have gone through the state now. Yeah, that's right. So it looks like um, over the weekend we saw quite a bit of rainfall. I'm sure we've already discussed that. But um, yes, it uh, looks like uh, over the coming days we're seeing uh, some rain uh, come to uh, Camden and uh, much of uh, New South Wales. Uh, looks like uh, the focus for the falls today, if if any, will be in, in the far west uh, over the Riverina um, and uh, the far western parts, uh, Cobar and Burke. Uh, but they will all be uh, very localised uh, based on um, thunderstorm activity. So we'll be keeping our eyes open and uh, tracking those storms today. And it looks like over Wednesday, uh, the activity shifts a bit further eastward um, over into uh, southern New South Wales um, particularly and then across over to... Uh, uh, places like Orange over the Central West Plains, um, 
into Dubbo um, and a, a bit more again for Burke, perhaps. But uh, so like just thunderstorm, thunderstorm activity, really not sort of hit and miss, and not not sort of general rain. That's right, hit and miss, exactly. So um, it looks like, although we could see um, heavy localised falls, particularly in parts of the southwest of Riverina um, and uh, north um, and west of Burke today, and then parts of um, the southern, uh, the south of the state, so looking at uh, maybe Daniloquin and um, near Albury and uh, over um, even close to Bega tomorrow, those uh, those heavier falls will be very much localised and completely driven by uh, thunderstorm activity. So, um, yeah, a very a, a very broad um, very broad rainfall totals based on um, based on that. So, so you, it can be you very might hard get, to pick. Yeah, right. So you might get twenty millimetres, or you might get nothing. Yeah, exactly, and, 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 and a lot and of that, areas will probably get nothing. And that's right. And it could be within, and, and the difference between you. And, and your neighbour getting it could be, you know, 10, 10 kilometres difference. It, mm. it, it, it's going to be very hit and miss, very patchy. But um, it does look like it's picking up on Thursday again uh, with storms and, uh, again, over, like, the southwest slopes and plains and into uh, the central tablelands and then parts of the Blue Mountains um, and uh, the Hunter. But, again, not general. Not, so it's... so. Uh, more rain on Thursday. It's of a similar type, is it? It's still that thunderstorm activity, or is it That's maybe exactly. a bit more general? Um, perhaps it, it might become a bit more general um, over central parts, um, particularly central ranges, um, on Thursday evening, and um, in yeah, over Thursday evening. But it, I don't want to oversell it at this point. But it does look mm, like there yeah. are certain parts where, if the storms do become quite organised, we could see um, more of a rainfall sort of trace through there. But yeah. Again, that's really just for the central tablelands at this point. And, um, yeah, we'll just have to see how that evolves over the next couple of days. And, and what about what happens after that, sort of uh, towards the weekend and early next week? What are we looking at yeah, there? Yeah, so generally a drying trend. Looks like we might start to see this inland trough um, start to become mobile and move further east towards the northeast over the weekend. Um, and, we, and we'll finally see a, um, a dry sort of southerly change. However, it does look like broad areas of... Um, of the state could still see a storm or two um, on Saturday and Sunday, um, and then much of the focus will be um, in the like for precipitation will be um, in the northeast uh, come um, early next week. Um, with that as well, uh, with that trough moving through to the northeast, we um, we, we will see some um, uh, temperatures building ahead of the trough, um, looking like we could start to see some high fire danger ratings in the west and parts of the northwest um, over the weekend. Oh, okay. So back to those fire fire danger warnings after that. That's right. That's right. Mm. Okay, Dylan. That's pretty comprehensive. Thanks for that. Yeah, no worries. Have a good one. It's coming up to uh, twenty minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. And we're broadcasting today from the University of Sydney, the Camden Campus Dairy Research Foundation, the uh, symposium. Uh, the uh, dairy symposium for this year and uh, as I said a lot of researchers here a lot of uh, international players uh, international dairy farmers and uh, also dairy farmers from Australia here to uh, hear the good oil on the latest research and maybe uh, think about the future for their business as well 
joining me now is uh, Professor Richard Eckhart, who is uh, uh, a research fellow at the University of Melbourne, and uh, he's been one of the keynote speakers here, and no stranger to the New South Wales Country Hour. Welcome again, although this time in person. In person, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the first time we've met in person. Probably is, I think. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yes, we've spoken a number of times about carbon, yeah. and you've been talking about... Well, uh, one of the uh, accents of your speech is that uh, uh, your keynote uh, talk today was really don't be sort of um, hoodwinked by uh, some snake oil salesmen in regards to carbon if you're a dairy farmer. That's that's not really the main game for many, you think. I I think it's really important. The, The main game for a dairy farmer is selling milk. And if we lose sight of that, we've lost the game altogether. Then we might as well sell the farm and go and do something else. Um, and so we know that all the supply chain companies like Frontera and Unilever, they all set targets for reduced emissions. So the best thing we can do is focus on, well, how do we achieve maintaining access to that supply chain? And it changes our language. Do we get involved in carbon markets for short-term gain? Or do we keep our carbon for ourselves so that we can maintain access to our own supply chain? It doesn't involve generating carbon credits to keep your carbon in your farm. Just to demonstrate that you're actually good at what you do um, is, is, is how we demonstrate to the supply chain that we meet their criteria. Do we have a lot of snake oil salesmen or carbon, uh, you know, you know, carbon uh, devotees out there trying to sign up dairy farmers? Is that that's actually happening? Probably not a lot knocking at the dairy farmers, but there's certainly a lot, a lot of, of, of action in the carbon market space. Um, and you can see the dilemma. The big end of town, the big emitters, they want to buy their way out of trouble. And so they want as many carbon credits as they can get. It's not actually in the interest of farmers to actually sell those credits to the big end of town. Um, they need to keep them for, for themselves. Um, I would say, though, that you know, the, the moment there's lots of money in a particular area, you're going to get business ventures making money out of it. So, you know, they're valid people that are making money out of a government incentive scheme which is generating carbon credits, and they, they're valid businesses. So some schemes are better than others, let's put it that way. Yeah, some schemes are less risk. Mm. So if, for example, you feed a supplement to your dairy cows and drop their methane production, well, you could probably sell that carbon credit with impunity, um, with no risk to carry over. But if you try to sell soil carbon, well, it's still in your soil. You still own it, but then you can't use it ever again. You can't use it as to your own supply chain access. So there's, there's risks in the nuance of the conversation that I think that are just missed in saying all carbon credits. And I guess when you're talking about pasture and what's been fixated in the pasture as well, and you're talking about dairy cows that are actually um, eating the pasture, you know, that you've got to take that into account as well. Exactly. And, and you know, here, here is the rub, because most dairy farms have already maxed out on their soil carbon potential. You've got good rainfall, good soils, good pastures, there's every incentive to fertilise them well, grazing management, and so the potential for dairy farmers to build more soil carbon is probably not there just because they've done a good job already. But there's no recognition of that, there's no reward for that in carbon credits because they can't now double their soil carbon, they've already doubled it. Um, And therein lies the rub that actually we're probably paying the wrong people with soil carbon. We're paying the person who's 3% to go to 5%. We should be asking why aren't you 5% because most dairy farms are at the top end. Uh, instead of saying, let's reward the farmer for good soil carbon that they have already, we're going to pay you if you were bad. kind of sends the wrong signal, I think. 
the other thing you talk about though is to focus on biodiversity so what what are, what are you talking about there what should dairy farmers be doing there are we talking about uh, you know wood lots are we talking about uh, shelter belts you know what sort of biodiversity are you talking about the yeah, important that we know the the next criteria coming our way we're, we're focused quite strongly on carbon at the moment by, t- by 2030 we're doing carbon and the next criteria is biodiversity but let's not think of biodiversity as just trees because that's, that's kind of sending the wrong message that it's that block of trees at the back of your farm. Biodiversity for a dairy farmer might be around better soil microbial diversity. So you've got a high amount of soil organic matter, but it's highly active with microbes. It might be trees, but it might be diverse pastures. It might be that we go out of monocultures into more diverse pastures that inherently are more resilient in a more changing climate as well. So let's think of biodiversity broadly when we're saying we're going into this because dairy farms have got a fair bit of biodiversity already that we can capitalise on. And you think that there is a, a bit of uh, misinformation going out about from uh, self-interested people in, in regards in the carbon space and they're not, they wouldn't be talking about biodiversity, they'd just be talking about buying up what they think's in the soil. Yeah, so they, they, they can't get revenue from biodiversity right now, so it's not in the business model, whereas the supply chain are going to be asking for that biodiversity in the years to come. So uh, right now, um, you, you kind of can't blame them, but the problem you've got is that most dairy farmers, if they want to get honest, unbiased carbon advice, they can't get it, because the people with most of the knowledge are the people trying to sell you a carbon project. And, and that's unfortunate, and it has to change. So that's why we're doing these kind of forums to make sure that everyone is up to speed with the Carbon 101 story and and you're not getting that biased information from someone whose only objective is to sell a carbon project. And are you, are you getting much heat from that, the fact that you're talking about it in this way and talking about carbon credits, maybe not, you know, there's some question marks over that. I understand some of the industry are quite critical of what you've been saying and, you know, say that, uh, uh, you know, that uh, they're, they're trying to make a buck and you're sort of standing in the way of that. <laughs> yeah, look, I have, I have good relationship with some in the carbon aggregator space and those are the ones that recognise that actually by 2030 we're moving out of carbon credits that we'll be in biodiversity credits and have to retool the entire business to accommodate that. Uh, I can't see that we'll be selling soil carbon in the next 20 years. Um, We'll be out of those markets. And so any company that is on the front foot of where the direction is going is already thinking about this. Um, And so those are some of the fruitful conversations I'm having with carbon aggregators. But if you're just selling tree carbon or soil carbon, you might be hitting a wall soon. And are you having uh, fruitful discussions in the in the carbon regulation space with the federal government? I think you have been, haven't you, about how they can change the system to make it uh, make it more robust and a bit more transparent. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. We we need more transparency so that at least we can understand. So be, because the public purse is involved, we need transparency to understand how are these credits being generated? Is the science solid behind them? So that's our job. That's our job is to challenge where a method might be designed more altruistically and then get used badly. Um, And we've certainly seen some of the methods not being used within the spirit of how they were generated. So we as scientists have to step back in and say, well, hang on, no, we've got to factor out rainfall here because you can't get paid for rainfall. Um, And unfortunately, I think that's what's happened in, in the past. 
And uh, of course, recently there's been reported that one of the big carbon schemes was found to be basically a hoax. So you know, that's that's always out there too. But that's probably uh, a conversation for another day. Richard Eckhart, Professor Richard Eckhart, thanks for joining us on the Country Hour today. Absolutely, Michael. Good to see you. It's coming up to uh, 14 minutes to one. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, let's go to lamb now because it's uh, no secret that some farmers have been receiving as little as a dollar per kilo for their lambs at the sale yards, some even not even worth selling, actually. So why are consumers paying $43 a kilo for lamb cutlets? Well, Woolworths has announced the price of 26 Australian lamb products will drop by 20%. As of tomorrow, Patrick Hutchinson is the CEO of the Australian Meat Industry Council and he expects supply has led to the decision to drop the prices and expects other retailers to follow suit. Inventory has been uh, fairly fairly high. People have been getting through that. Um, I couldn't really suggest or know in a lot of circumstances um, what the supermarkets and their choice because that's where most people are making the call in regards to price. We have heard today that from Wednesday uh, you'll be seeing about a 20% drop in price for lamb at uh, Woolworths, including, uh, leg, I think, lamb legs from $10 to $8 and, uh, you know, vice versa. No doubt in a competitive market, uh, other organisations, including our members, the ever-reliable local independent butcher, will be following suit as best as they can. But, um, you know, that's... Uh, seems to be now flowing through the system. Yeah, so obviously it's quite well known that producers haven't been getting very much for their live weight animals. Why has the price that producers been getting on their end been so slow to flow through to the supermarkets and to the butcher? I'm not too sure. Um, you know, we have seen it. it's been gradual as opposed to non-existent. Certainly uh, processes have been trying to recoup some margin that they've lost when farmers were getting world record prices in the same, you know, within the same business model, with the same buyers, within the same sellers, at the same sale yards, using the same transporters uh, that they were getting 18 months ago. Um, so it's not like that the system's broken, changed or whatever else. It's just it's moved um, from just like any other business, it's moved uh, from a seller's market to a buyer's market. And a lot of areas have, uh, have, have impacted that, most notably the fact that farmers have hit the market hard um, in seeing anything up to between 20 to 30% increases in slaughter rates on a year-on-year basis. But I think we should also recognise that that's occurred not in the last, gradually in the last 12 months. Uh, those increases year-on-year year have actually increased only in the last three months. So I think there's a lot to be said around how the market operates and, and, and those impacts that are there. Um, but now uh, we're seeing it from a retail perspective uh, that those prices are flowing through. Um, however, I'm unsure uh, the correlation that farmers are looking at between cheap livestock price to cheap meat price and how that actually helps them. So that's certainly something that I'm still trying to get my head around in talking with farming groups. Patrick Hutchison, who's the CEO there, uh, talking about uh, changes to pricing on the way at uh, some of the supermarkets. Uh, and uh, it's been called for a lot by Australian farmers, in, uh, especially in the, the uh, sheep and lamb market. You're listening to The Country Hour. Uh, before we head off from the uh, University of Sydney Dairy Research Foundation, we're joined by uh, Yanni Garcia, who heads up the foundation. He's uh, joined us now. Um, today, 
a lot of success, a lot of researchers, farmers, here they are at lunchtime, they're having a good chat and absolutely. exchange of information. Yes, absolutely. It's been a fantastic day. We have together all the industry, farmers, the service providers, the organizations, all the daily program is very showcase at the symposium. This is the annual symposium we organize at the University of Sydney and it's fantastic to see so many people over 200 uh, registrations and, uh, and for the New South Wales industry, that's fantastic. And it's about information sharing and, and really improving productivity and, and then that will um, you know, help with people's pro- uh, profitability as well. Exactly, it is. It is our showcasing and showing our, disseminating our research and basically add clarity science-based News and knowledge, exactly, and and there was that was a really good example with with Richard and Aaron from the in the carbon session in terms of clarifying the nitty gritty of uh, of the carbon because it's a very complex topic and farmers are really interested to say okay what is there for them what what can they do about it and where to from here. And maybe there isn't something in, in it for them, for, for others, or there might be for some, but they need to be wary about some of the issues. Exactly. I think the real key message is like, uh, hold on a second, uh, wait and, and uh, inform yourself. Get, do, there's do a lot of, there is a lot of help like, yep. at the University of Sydney, Daily App Program, the New South Wales DPI, Melbourne Uni with Richard. They have a, there's a lot of information, real knowledge that a farmer can use. There's no reason to, you know, you know do, go ahead and, and, and probably rush into a decision that may be regrettable later on. So it's a, it's a really good message. Yes, it's been a, a, a great day today and, and tomorrow as well. Yanni, thanks for your time on the program today. Thank you. It's coming up to 7 to 1. To markets and Wodonga cattle. Good afternoon. 1,050 cattle were offered on Melbourne Cup Day and quality was fair to very good with some yearlings grain assisted. Heavy cattle were in limited numbers and quite a few regular processors never made it to the sale this week, which did impact prices. Veal sold 20 to 35 cents cheaper, 150 to 265. Trade steers were back 25, 155 to 280. Feeder steers were firm, 145 to 220. Trade heifers gained 5, 155 to 245. Feeder heifers, too few to quote, 150 to 167. Heavy grown steers were down 35 cents, 160 to 205. Bullocks fell 18 cents, 174 to 207. Heavy heifers were shaped, 170 to 192. Heavy cows were 10 to 15 cents cheaper, 145 to 189. The middle run of leaner types, 122 to 172. And the better bulls, 160 to 180. I'm Leander for MLA. To Forbes sheep and lambs. Numbers dropped slightly this sum with agency adding 26,700 head. Lamb numbers fell to 16,900 and quality continues to be very mixed with a few good lines of well-finished and fresh lambs available along with the planer and secondary lines. The usual buyers are present competing in a market that held fairly steady but did fluctuate with the quality on offer. There was 4,900 new season lambs penned and prices held steady. Trade weight 18 to 24 kilos, selling from 80 to 105, $118 a head. Heavy lambs 24 to 26 kilo, receiving from 118 to 129. While well, a few pens of extra heavy weights over 26 kilos sold from 133 to a top of 172. Old lambs followed a similar trend with quality affecting prices. 
Trade weight, 20 to 24 kilos sold from 63 to 114. 24 to 26 kilo received from 110 to 121. While those extra heavyweight lambs sold from 118 to $155 a head. The balance of the lambs and 9,800 head of mutton are still to be sold. This has been Crystal Ridley at Forbes from LA. The car called cattle now. Numbers are up by 600 for a yarding of 2,188. It was a good quality yarding with good numbers of young cattle to suit the feeders along with odd lots to suit the trade buyers. There were also good numbers of well-finished grass steers and heifers. There were 530 mostly good quality cows yarded. Young cattle of the trade were 5 to 8 cents cheaper with the prime yearlings selling from 160 to 206. Feeder steers and heifers were up to 20 cents dearer. Feeder steers sold from 155 to 245, while the feeder heifers sold from 160 to 207. Young cattle of the restockers were around firm, with the young steers selling to 243 and the young heifers 162. Grass steers and heifers were 10 cents dearer and more in places, with the prime ground steers selling from 184 to 225. Prime ground heifers sold from 172 to 210. Cows were 3 to 5 cents dearer with the 2 and 3 scores, selling from 50 to 168. Prime heavyweight cows sold from 158 to 188 to average 179. Heavy bulls sold to 185. This is David Monk at CTLX for MLA. To Gunnedah Cattle. Good afternoon. A small increase in supply to just over 1,500 head. Medium and heavyweight yearlings well supplied, as were heavyweight cows. Not a lot of heavy ground cattle. Quality was mostly good. All regular buyers were in attendance for a market that saw trends dearer for the most part. Lightweight yearlings steers to restockers sold from 160 to 255 cents a kilo. Medium and heavyweight feeders were 20 to 25 cents dearer, 200 to 249 cents. Heavy trade averaged 17 cents better, 213 to 244 cents, with from the feedlots. Deer trends throughout the yearling heifers, some of the lightly muscled lines posting strong gains. Lightweights sold from 165 to 220. Medium and heavyweights as much as 18 cents dearer, 180 to 210. Trade to 230. Well finished grind heifers were dearer, 150 to 198. Not a lot of change in the planer cows, 100 to 158 cents. Heavy three and four scores up to 20 cents dearer with a quality improvement, 171 to 210 cents a kilo. James Armitage for MLA in Canada. Inverell cattle. Good afternoon. Inverell reduced 385 head and then 505 mixed cattle. Those numbers precluded some exporters from competition. Other operators present a result in a firm Padilla trend for most categories with emphasis on yielding heifers. Steer calves under 200 kilos live weight to 196, heifer calves to 150. Better bred light heifers to background were 29 cents dearer, 178 to 218. Deer trends for the light feeder steers up 5 cents, 220 to 228. Drafts of planer steers to background were cheaper, 164 to 220. Heavy steers to feed, 7 cents better, 220 to 222. Yielding heifers to background considerably dearer, 100 to 212. Feeder heifers, 6 cents better, 200 to 204. And medium feeder weights dearer to 204. Heavy trades made, 232. Grown heifers to feed, 206. And to process, 172 to 215. Medium cows dearer 130, heavy cows firm to dearer selling to 186. Stephen Adams, MLA at Inverell. Let's go to Scone Cattle. Good afternoon. Similar numbers to last week as Scone agents yarded 375 primarily good quality cattle with many off the crop. Even numbers of weaners and yearlings to suit all comers with around 90 cows penned. 
Not all the regular buyers in attendance, but that didn't stop the enthusiasm of those present where most grades sold to much dearer trends. Light restocker steer wieners, 9 to 35 cents dearer, 140 to 266. Same weight heifer counterparts saw rises of 6 to 27 cents, trading between 148 and 230. Medium weight uh, sea muscle yielding steers, the local butcher trade saw invigorated bidding to be dearer by 26 cents, 174 to 300. Same- and that's uh, the Scone Cattle Report for today. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour, broadcasting from the University of Sydney Dairy Research Foundation. We'll bring you some more stories, some uh, emerging scientists, and also talk to some dairy farmers as well here on the program tomorrow. It's coming up to 1 o'clock.